At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the Gospel. Well, today I'm really excited to be able to go back into the Word of God with you. We've been journeying through the book of 1 Peter. It's a letter that Peter wrote to what he described in verse number 1 of 1 Peter, chapter 1, as the elect exiles. This was his audience, those who were scattered abroad. Now, you could only imagine what uh, challenges they face as being a displaced and scattered people. Think about what it must be to uh, kind of be homeless in many ways, not having a land that you would call home, being scattered abroad, the sense of being placeless, voiceless, maybe even powerless, being marginalized, mistreated, abused. This is what the people of God, uh, those elect exiles, those Jews who were first to believe in Jesus were experiencing. They were being taken advantage of. They were being mistreated. They were being persecuted, uh, no doubt. And you would expect the tone of the letter to be different. In many ways, 1 Peter comes to us with a surprise. It's a surprising tone. It's a surprising message. Instead of being a message or a letter of lament, it is the exact opposite. It is a message of hope. And how in the world do you and I find hope in the face of a fallen world? You know, every text tries to answer a particular question. Every letter of Scripture, every verse of Scripture is trying to answer a particular question. As a matter of fact, one of the keys to rightly interpreting the Word of God is to ask, what question is this particular text trying to answer? And the uh, question that this text is trying to answer that we've been studying through is, where do you put your hope? Where can you put your hope where you won't be disappointed? You know, we're in this season in 2020 where we have been broadsided by the unexpected, the uninvited, the unwanted, and people are desperately searching for hope. We're wired that way. And there's options. There's always in the marketplace of ideas, options where you can put your hope. Not all of them are good options. Some of us have put our hope in the economy. Bad option. It's a roller coaster ride, my friends. You'll get a sick stomach, I promise you, if you pay too close of attention. You know, some of us have put our hope in our kids and the choices that they'll make. I'll tell you, it's a bad option. Hopefully they make all the right choices, uh, but the reality is, is that they are human, just like you, and you'll get an upset stomach trying to follow that train too. Some of us have tried to put our hope in elections and the outcome of our political hopes and aspirations. But the reality is, is there's uncertainty even around that. If 2020 has shown us anything, it's that we can't put our hope in the uncertain. So if you can't put your hope in the economy or the outcomes of elections, or you shouldn't put your hope in uh, your kids' choices, then where do you put your hope so that you can have blessed assurance. Well, I'm glad you asked the question. Look at 1 Peter with me again. And I just want to recap what our brother Peter has written to us. In verse number one, he tells us, uh, I'm sorry, in verse number three of chapter one, he tells us that we have been born again to a living hope. What is that living hope? It's this inheritance that he describes this way as being imperishable, unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven by the power of God. 
This hope is the hope of our salvation through Christ, his death, burial, resurrection. And this is what he says in verse number 13, in light of uh, Christ and all that he's done for us and the promise of the salvation that is coming in him. If you're looking for a bedrock hope, he says, midway through verse number 13, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. My friend, Peter doesn't mince words. He is saying there is only one place where you can place your hope and it will not be disappointing. There is only one person that you can put your trust in and you can wake up day after day, sunrise after sunset, and still know that you are safe and secure. There is only one place in all of creation and in all of the universe where we can place our hope and and know that we will not be disappointed. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And on that third day, even when it looked like hope was defeated, even when it looked like the cross had won, how many thank God that on that third day, hope walked out of the grave. Hope declared victory. Hope is risen, hope has a pulse, hope has a name, his name is Jesus. So what Peter does is to say, if you are looking for a hope that won't disappoint, put your hope in Jesus. And what an appropriate message for our time. It's not by mistake that the teaching team and I uh, selected this season of the year for us to bring you this reminder because we know that you will be tempted, that I am constantly being tempted to put our hope in the wrong places. Hope in my own strength, hope in our own abilities, hope in our networks and relationships, and all of these things have their place. I'm not saying that they're not important. What I'm saying is that they ultimately don't have the power to keep your heart. The one place where you can rest assured and you can know that uh, you will be kept in perfect peace is by putting your hope and your trust in Jesus. Now, when you put your hope in God, it changes the way you live and you love. And we're going to examine that today, but Peter uses a number of metaphors to describe this hope. One of the metaphors he uses is an inheritance. We just read about that, that hope is our inheritance. Another metaphor he uses is that of pure gold, that our hope in Jesus is greater than pure gold, refined in fire. Another metaphor that he uses, and we're going to see it uh, later on today in the text, is that it's good news. That our hope in Jesus is good news that will not fade. It's good news for every generation. How many say amen to that? But today, he's going to use another metaphor, and, and, and here's how he describes hope. He says hope is like a good meal, like good food. Any foodies out there? Anybody love food? Have you ever had a meal that changed your life? Have you ever tasted some food that you said, my life will never be the same after this? Some of you, that's why you're married today, because of that meal, because of that meal. I remember uh, visiting uh, uh, Hungary. We were in Budapest, Hungary, my wife and I, and we were in this little town outside of Budapest called Eger, Hungary. And we're walking through Eger, Hungary, and Eger is this old Eastern European town. The skyline is marked by these ancient churches, beautiful, from the 8th century and 10th century. And we're walking down the skyline, and then this little storefront restaurant, I don't even know the name, uh, we stopped to eat. 
We, it was recommended by the lady at the hotel. After I tried to get a pizza, my wife said no. And so here we are sitting in this restaurant, and uh, I asked the waitress, I said, what would you recommend? And she said, the goulash. Now, I don't know if you've ever had authentic Hungarian goulash, but let me just tell you, friends, it will change your life. If you've never been on drugs, don't eat it because it will become your new addiction, right? And so I ate this food and I said, honey, our next vacation has to be here. Planning a whole vacation around one meal that changed my life. I don't know about you. I mean, most of life is just eating to survive or to fuel your body. But there are certain times when something breaks through that changes your life. Well, this is what Peter wants us to know about the good news of Jesus. Most of the news you hear is mundane, everyday news. It kind of feels like recycled or warmed up oatmeal. It doesn't really arouse or excite, but not, it's not true concerning the good news of Jesus Christ. This is not the case. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse number 3, the end of uh, our passage that we'll look at today, it says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you, my friends, tasted that the Lord is good? Have you tasted the good news of the gospel? Have you tasted Jesus? Today we're going to talk about what it means to taste the goodness of God. But Peter expects that when we put our hope in God, it will change two things, the way we live and the way we love. Let's talk about the way we live. In verse number 15, he tells us that we should be holy if our hope is in the right place. In other words, there's a barometer. There's a barometer. One of the ways you know you put your hope in the right place is, is, is when you want to reflect the character of God. Be holy, for I am holy. In verse 17, he tells us another way. He says, our conduct, we should conduct ourselves in fear. Well, what type of fear? Fear of the Lord. This fear that we will waste such a great salvation. I don't want to waste the grace of God. I don't want to live in this world in a casual or careless way. I want to live in an awe and a reverence of God that causes me to want to honor Him in everything. How many desire that as well? Desire to honor God in everything. That's one of the ways you know you put your hope in the right place, that you put your, your hope fully in Jesus. Peter doesn't want us to be fooled. He doesn't want us to be deceived by the world or even self-deceived, thinking that we've placed our hope in God when we really haven't. How do you know you've placed your hope in God? You'll desire to be holy. You'll conduct yourself in fear. But then thirdly, he gets to this point, verse 22. Let's read verses 22 through 25 together. And here's his message is clear. You'll love one another. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. Do you see where Peter's confidence is at? You, you see where his confidence is at, right? He says everything around us is going to fade. Everything around us is going to die, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. Well, let's go back to verse 22 really quickly. 
having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Here, Peter is saying, because you have put your trust in him and you have diligently surrendered your heart to the truth of Scripture, you have purified your soul. And what is produced in you when your hope is really in Jesus is this love, this brotherly love, this phileo, this brotherly love. But it's love that is not casual. It is love that is not shallow, but it is love for one another that is earnest from a pure heart. Now this, this, this commandment that he's given us, this imperative that he's given us is to love differently than the world loves. Or maybe put a different way, love differently than you did before you knew Jesus. The quality, the substance, the commitment, and the sacrifice of our love should be exponentially different now that we have put our trust and our faith in Him. Now, let me just for a moment tell you that this really is the first time in Peter's letter so far where he's dealing with how we're supposed to treat one another. Up until this point, he's been dealing with how we're supposed to operate in the world. Now think about this for just a moment. How should we love those who are outside of the church? How should we love those who have a different faith than us? How should we love those who have a different worldview than us, a different value system than us, a, a different political aspiration than us? How should we love them? Well, I'll tell you how we should love them. Keep your finger there and go to uh, Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 6. This is a great time for you to turn with me. Luke chapter 6, and we're just going to look at two verses, verses 32 and 35. Question on the table is how should we love those outside of the household of faith? How should we treat and love those who have opposing worldviews than us, who seem to be our enemies? Look at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them, verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. It's quiet in this church. I didn't get one amen, I didn't get one clap, one brother over there felt sorry for me, started clapping just so I wouldn't feel sad. This, my friends, is the challenge of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the dangerous proposition of the gospel. This is the call of Christianity that we are not a self-centered people who love like those who don't have a Savior. No, our Savior went to the cross while we were yet sinners. Don't ever misunderstand the gospel. It was not just the centurions or the Pharisees or Sadducees or Sanhedrin that hung him to that cross. No, while we were yet enemies to the cross, he loved us. And he calls us to love our enemies. Again, a reminder, an inconvenient truth, a reminder that none of us want to hear. Because what we really want to hear Jesus say is, conquer your enemy. What we really want to hear Jesus say is, go ye therefore and defeat those who have a different worldview than you. Crush those who have different political aspirations than what you have. That's what we really want to hear, but that's not the Savior we serve. 
You know, there's this old saying that in the beginning, God created man, and man has been returning the favor ever since. You know, we typically recreate God in our own image and likeness, but that's not the call of the gospel. The call of the gospel is to be conformed to his image and likeness as we put our hope in him. We should love like him. And every time you go into the word, there should be the stinging reminder that, God, I am so far from this. I'm not preaching this to you because I have yet arrived. I'm preaching this to you because it is true. It is the word of God. Now, here's the question on the table. If he would challenge us to love the world that way, what do you think our love for one another should look like? What do you think he's driving home on how you and I are to love one another? Let's just leave for just a moment and go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, and he says this, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, what do you think that must mean in light of how he's telling us to love those who are opposed to us? How much more should we be willing to give of ourselves, commit ourselves, show grace with one another, patience with one another? My fear for the church in this hour is not that we're going to lose people because of our moral standards. My fear for the church in this hour is that we're going to lose people because we're unwilling to love one another the way Christ has called us. Because what testimony do you think it is when a world that is weary of bickering, division, vitriol, polarization, what testimony do you think it is when they come into our community and they see us loving one another across socioeconomic lines, across political lines, across racial and ethnic lines. What, what, what testimony is it when we're serving one another and caring for one another, embracing one another, there for one another in heartache and, and hardship? I want the testimony of our church and the testimony of our fellowship to be that we love one another earnestly and deeply and that there are people in, in our fellowship who feel isolated, alone, disconnected. Now, I will tell you that this particular commandment is so much easier to live out when we're in community with one another. Peter is kind of presupposing that wherever they are scattered abroad, that they understand the value of covenant and Christian community. You know, when you hear our leaders talk about groups, life groups, and all of these wonderful uh, things, these are more than just announcements, more than just fancy programs. It is our way of, of encouraging you to create and, and involve yourself in the formation of a community that reflects the ethos of the New Testament that allows us to love one another deeply. How many want our community to be marked by love? To be marked by a Christ-like love, a, a sacrificial love, a love that gives itself away because it has no fear. What hinders love? I will tell you the greatest hindrance to love is fear. We are afraid. We are afraid of being uh, mistreated or taken advantage of or not rewarded. But when we put our hope in Christ, we will never be disappointed. Again, this is a barometer. How much is our hope in Christ? Well, you want to know, look at how you love. If you can love one another with this reckless abandon, trusting in Jesus, then it's evidence that your faith is in the right place. Now, why can we have confidence? 
We, we have confidence because we've been born again. We can do this because we've been born again. But this time, not with perishable seed, but imperishable. Now, by c- comparing or contrasting perishable to imperishable, what he's looking at is natural birth, imperishable, I'm sorry, perishable, natural birth versus uh, supernatural birth through the Word of God. Here's his premise that everything that is born naturally will ultimately die. Flowers die, the grass will die, kingdoms of this world will die, our physical bodies will die. But everything that is born of imperishable seed, the imperishable seed of the Word of God will live and last forever. Why? Because His Word never fails. How many praise God for that? And this Word, and this Word is the good news that was preached to you. And he promises this. In verse 25, he says, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It remains through every era and epoch. It remains through every season and situation. It remains and stands strong when the economy's good and when the economy's bad. If you put your hope in this word, it will remain strong when your body is sick and when it's healthy. It will remain strong when your career trajectory is what you want and when there's a a bump in the road. If you put your hope in this imperishable word, it will remain strong regardless of who's elected. If you put your hope in this imperishable word, it will remain strong no matter which direction it looks like your children might be going. If you put your faith in this imperishable word, your hope will remain forever because your life will be kept guarded by God's power, where thieves can't break in and moths can't corrupt. God is the only place, my friends, where we can put our hope and have full confidence. Now, again, one of the ways that you know that your heart is rightly aligned with the Word of God is your response to the Word when it's preached. There are times when I'm like, going through my study of Scripture, and I say, God, that does not sit right with me. It is far easier for me to preach to you, love your enemies, than for me to do it, right? Just full transparency. But the reality is, is that that's more of a barometer of my own heart. It's more of a revelation of where I need to grow, which takes us to our next point. Peter expects for us to grow up. He he doesn't expect for us to remain babes. He expects for us to grow up and love. Grow up and love. Don't remain an infant. Don't remain a a, a Christian who is um, still mistreating people. A Christian who can easily cut off people. How how many are professionals at cutting people off? Can easily do it. I mean, you can easily delete somebody from your contacts and not lose any sleep about it. Anybody uh, have uh, a spiritual gift that knows how to block people on social media? That is your spiritual gift. You can block anybody, right? And, and you don't lose sleep over it. You can, you can be isolated from the community of believers and, and be okay with that. You can have conflict with somebody who is uh, saying they're a believer and, and, and you're, you're okay with that. You can see a brother in need and say, well, too bad for him. He needs to work as hard as I work. And 
kind of be okay with that. That's immature Christianity. Mature Christianity grows up to the point where you are able to do verses two, uh, uh, one through three of chapter two. Look at what it says. So put away, put away what? All malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Indeed, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you have tasted or since you have tasted that the Lord is good, grow up, put off some things, and long for better things. First, the put off. What are you putting off? Well, this, this phrase, put off, means to cast aside or to get rid of. It gives us the word picture or the image of a garment that you take off and say, I am never wearing this again. Anybody got those old photos that you look at and see what you were wearing about a decade or two ago, and you say, how in the world did I ever wear that? Anybody experience that? Maybe three of you, praise God. We should get blackmail photos and just pop them up throughout, throughout the service on the screen. You from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. There's surely a whole lot of that for me, right? There are certain clothes that I feel like I will throw in the fire, never wanting to see that again. Well, Peter is saying this is exactly what it should be like here. You should give up malice. Malice, what is that? That's just a general way of saying broadly mistreating people, being cruel to people, being uh, evil or unkind to people. Put away deceit. This is, this is deception by misrepresenting the truth. You should not be okay lying or misrepresenting the truth. In the 90s, there was this business invention known as situational ethics. And it basically was another way of saying that the ends justify the means. And so if you have to be a little bit deceptive because it's going to pay off for your bottom line, then go ahead and do it. God forgives you. And then we start creating color categories for lies. There's little white lies, and then there's big lies. Here's the reality, is that God wants us to be a people of truth. Not situationally, but all the time. Again, another statement that I expected an amen and I didn't get one. Put away hypocrisy. This is play acting. This is saying that you ascribe to a particular moral set of values, but really unwilling to live that way. Proclaiming one thing, but living another. Put away envy. This is jealousy. Jealousy because someone has something that you want and think you deserve. Listen, one of the things that liberates all of us is to know that what God has for you, it's for you. That God is good to you. That God is faithful to you. Another way of freeing yourself from this envy is to say, I don't deserve all the grace and mercy that I've received. How many can honestly say that if God never did another thing for you, that he would still be worthy of all the praise, all the glory, and the honor for what he has already done? How many can say that from your heart? If he never gave a promotion, didn't get the bigger home, didn't get the accolades, if he never did uh, another thing, he still, because of what he already has done, is worthy of all of my praise. Put it away. Put away slander. Slander. 
speaking cruel or evil of another brother or sister in Christ. I'm amazed, especially in this hour, how quickly we will turn on one another, how quickly we will misinterpret someone's actions or deeds and fire off an email or a mean post about someone, a brother or sister in Christ, in particular, those who maybe are are more high profile. We don't even know them, and we just take one statement or one action, and we create a whole profile. It's so easy to assassinate someone in this hour with your words. Peter says, don't let that be named among you. Throw it away. Burn it up. Never to be worn again. Never to be worn again. You know, when I became... A husband, there was things I had to put away. Love requires that. Love requires there are certain things you put away. There were other single guys that I was cool with before uh, Yodi Brooks came into my life, but when I got married to her, I didn't hang out with my single buddies anymore. I even put away, fellas, video games for my wife. Can I just get an amen for that? There are even times, get this, where my wife walks into the room where I will cut off the game to show her that I love her. Now, when she leaves, I put it back on. But when she's there, when she's there, I want her to know you are, baby, you are more important than any of these things. Some sacrifices for love are hard. These sacrifices for love should be easy. Should be easy for us to put away slander. Should be easy for us to say, no, It's not how you handle conflict with a brother or sister in Christ. You don't just leave the church because something was said that offended you. No, you try to work together to reconcile the situation. You don't just walk out of a marriage just because you had a bad week or a bad month or a bad year. No, you show long suffering. Besides her being your wife, she is your sister in Christ, which, by the way, should rank pretty high on the list of why you should treat her really, really well. The fact of the matter is, friends, is that our love is of a different quality. It's of a different standard. But he goes on to say, you need to grow up in it. Because even after you've been redeemed by this imperishable seed of the Word of God, you still aren't perfect, are you? How many have come to Christ, love Jesus, but still blow it? Anybody out there besides me? Right? Still find that there are times when you show malice or deceit or hypocrisy or envy or slander. You don't have to raise your hand. But the fact of the matter is we all are at different stages of that. That's fine because we're growing. The worst thing we could do is say a babe. But how do we grow? By longing for the pure spiritual milk. What is the pure spiritual milk? It goes back to verse 22. It is the uh, obedience to the truth that he talks about. It is this imperishable seed of the word of God, that word that endures forever. He is not mincing uh, his, his convictions here. He is very clear that the sincere milk is the Word of God. The more, in other words, you gaze upon the Word, the more your hope will be rooted in Him, the more you will mature in your love. You'll become a better lover of people as you become a better student of the Word. Does that make sense to anyone? And so I love this metaphor that he uses. He uses his metaphor of desiring milk. Now, for dads like me who still have infants, this is something that is easily relatable to. My little Christiana, um, I probably make two or three bottles out of the eight or so she'll probably have a day, along with steak and potatoes and all the other things that a 10-month-old eats. 
Um, my little Christiana, I get a chance to make a couple bottles for her a day, and she's almost at a fever pitch when she sees Daddy shaking that bottle up because she knows the good stuff is coming. And let me just use this as an opportunity to say thank you for those who prayed for our newest. When she was first born, she was having a hard time keeping food down. Doctors did all they, they could do. She was not retaining weight, uh, but now she is on Weight Watchers. She's so big, we're trying to manage all of that. Like 28 pounds as a 10-year-old. That's the way the Brooks's roll. But, but here she is, fever pitch, because she knows the good stuff is coming. She wants the bottle. That's how we should be for the word. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. I was with a sweet family on Friday night from our church who has a daughter. I think she's 15, 10th grader in high school. And uh, we were talking about our services, and she says, hey, our daughter, the mom says, hey, our daughter feels like you should take more time preaching. She really loves your preaching. I said, please write that letter to the elders. Please write that <laughs> No, our elders love us. But the reality is, is that's the attitude and the heart that we should have. We should have a heart for the word that says, give me more. Now, everything can't be accomplished in a weekend service. That's why we have community and groups so that we can talk about the word, unpack it, and live it together. But your heart in the morning should crave the word. In the afternoon, in the evening, you wouldn't go weeks without uh, eating. Why would we go th that long without diving into the word? But as we do, we will grow up. We'll grow up, we'll love one another more, we'll be more earnest. Why? Because we will taste the goodness of God. And how was that goodness expressed? It was expressed through the cross of Christ. So what is your response to that? I pray that your response will be for the believer, that you will love one another more earnestly. And I pray for the unbeliever who is longing for love, what you will hear me say is that there is a place, there is a person that can love you like no other, that will love you in a way that will transform your life better than that meal I had in, 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 in Budapest, Hungary, he will transform your life forever and for eternity from the inside out. And that lover, that lover of your soul, his name is Jesus, who died for you and even more rose again so that by faith and trust in him, you might be saved. And so after this service, if today you wanna to give your heart to Jesus or come home again, there'll be leaders up here that will gladly pray with you so that you can have your hope renewed in Jesus Christ. And how many thank God that he is trustworthy? How many praise God for that? Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.